0: Not too long ago, the pastors of Kaleo read a book together called I Bring the Voices of My People by Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. In her book, she argues that truth-telling begins the process of healing and liberation in community. Truth-telling does two things for both the oppressor and the oppressed. For the oppressed, naming your oppression and your oppressor removes your identity and value from underneath it and gives you the opportunity to walk away from it, sometimes. For the oppressor, truth-telling forces you to look at your behavior head on, stand eye to eye, and decide if you will continue to choose to oppress people, or if you will repent, walk away from that behavior, and restore what has been taken, stolen, abused, and harmed. Truth-telling reminds us that our bodies, our skin, our faces reflect the imago Dei, the very image of God, which is valuable and worthy of honor and dignity. And because we claim to be Kaleo, a church that creates space to practice the ways of Jesus together, and because we claim to reflect the kingdom of God, which is multi-ethnic, multicultural, then I'm going to do a bit of truth-telling tonight. Because a multi ethnic, multicultural community of people cannot exist together if they do not feel safe to exist together. I don't think we need people that will beat around the bush. It's been happening long enough and it isn't doing much of anything. I don't think we need people that will try to make people feel comfortable. I think we need people that will tell the truth, the good news, which is a great joy for all people. Good news that liberates. Good news that heals. For that is what Jesus calls us to proclaim. Our passage tonight is Luke 18, 1 through 8. It says this, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, and he said, Who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Julius Jones. This week is significant. It's the week that follows the death row trial of Julius Jones. Angela Davis said the death penalty's roots are sunk deep in the legacy of lynching. If you didn't hear, Julius Jones has been on death row in Oklahoma for 19 years for a 1999 murder he's always said he had no part in. Mr. Jones, who is represented by federal attorneys Dale Bach and Amanda Boss, was convicted and sentenced to death at the age of 19 and has now spent half of his life in prison waiting to be executed for a crime that new and compelling out of evidence suggests that he didn't commit. For 22 years, Julius's family has been fighting for justice. And after 115,489 calls, after 33,359 callers, after 91,499 signers, on Wednesday, November 18th, the Oklahoma governor granted clemency to Julius Jones hours before his scheduled execution. Although he is no longer being executed, Julius was sentenced to life without parole. And although we rejoice that he is not executed, our souls souls still ache that we often feel crushed under a justice system that willingly keeps an innocent black man behind bars. Kyle Rittenhouse. Then on Friday of this past week, Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted of all charges If you haven't heard about that story, writer, comedian, and television host, Amber Ruffin, said it plainly. Kyle Rittenhouse, a white 17-year-old man accused of shouting, shooting three people during a Black Lives Matter protest, was declared not guilty on all charges. And with tears streaming down her face, Amber proceeded. It's not okay for a man to grab a rifle travel across state lines and shoot three people and then walk free it's not okay for the for the judicial system to be blatantly and obviously stacked against people of color it's not okay for there to be an entirely different set of rules for white people for white people have been getting away with murder since time began and she said I can't believe I have to say this but you matter and I would add Especially if you live in a black or brown body, let me say to you, you matter. For this week, the verdict for these two cases has communicated to us that we don't matter in this country. And that people of color aren't worthy of liberation, worthy of protection, aren't worthy of justice, aren't worthy of freedom. But we know that's not what Jesus says. Amber continued her thoughts on television and said, Every time one of these verdicts come out, it's easy to feel like you don't matter, but I'm here to tell you that you do matter. You matter so much that the second you start to get a sense that you do, a man will grab a gun he shouldn't have in the first place and travel all the way to another state just to quiet you. That is the power that you have. And I would also add, because you are made in the Imago Dei, the very image of God. This week is also significant as the final verdict for the ASU multicultural space dispute was decided. At the beginning of the fall semester, millions of people watched a disagreement between pairs of students at Arizona State University that was captured on video, with a clip showing two white male students getting asked to leave a multicultural space. Groups of ASU students have advocated for multicultural spaces on campus for several years to provide an area for students of color, underrepresented minorities, LGBTQ students, and others to meet and discuss issues. Charges were pressed on the students of color, and although the charges were dropped due to hundreds of advocates calling and protesting, the black indigenous people of color students were required to write a three-page paper on how to react in a more civil manner when addressing racism as though their reactions to injustice were savage. Now you might be wondering why I might be bringing up so many social issues happening in our time. That's what Jesus did over and over and over again he addressed the socioeconomic injustices happening in the people of his time. If you did not know, 97% of the people alive during the time of Jesus were living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So, to separate Jesus from the day-to-day lived experiences of the people that make up the multi-ethnic family of God is to separate Jesus from the very mission he was sent to on earth to do, which is found in Luke 4 when it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And because we are a church that claims to be Jesus followers and a safe space for multi-ethnic, multicultural people, then let me read a quote to you from BLN Phoenix Metro. It says to tell black indigenous people of color directly impacted by racism and harassment that they need to learn how to be more civil when confronting racism is asking them to assimilate to white culture and is a racist request within itself. The inference here is that because they are not civil that they must be savages. This verdict communicates to people of color that white men are celebrated when they display a vigilant spirit, while black indigenous people of color folks are almost always almost always punished and made out to be the aggressive savages for even defending themselves against racism. That's a lot, and that's heavy. <sighs> Would you just take a deep breath with me? This week is also significant because it is the week of Indigenous Peoples Day, also known as Truth's Giving, which was coined by Indigenous activist Christine Nobis to dismantle common misunderstandings about Thanksgiving with, well, the truth. <laughs> Some say Thanksgiving is celebrated at the expense of Native peoples. And while America celebrates a day of thanks with feasts and football, many Native Americans continue to live with disparities and economic hardships. Since 1970, the United American Indians of New England have carried out a national day of mourning. And this is what they have to say. Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of the millions of Native people, the theft of Native lands, the relentless assault of Native culture. The National Day of Mourning is a day of remembrance and spiritual connection, as well as a protest of racism and oppression, which Native Americans continue to experience. These are true events that happened in a place many of us pledge our allegiance. Started by a faith many of us pledge to follow. The truth is hard to hear, but the truth sets us free. To acknowledge the heaviness of these truths and the significance of what has taken place in our country, I'd like to take a moment to move us through some moments of silence breathing and prayer taken from black liturgies by co-author riley would you once again just take a deep breath lord we grow weary in the wait and as we exhale we pray god bring justice as we inhale lord would we hold space for what was was lost And as we exhale, we remember that there is healing and remembrance. As we inhale, Lord, help us enter their pain. And as we exhale, without centering our own. As we inhale, God, protect the memory of indigenous people. And as we exhale, Restore to them what has been taken. Brothers and sisters, it is easier to ignore these truths than to sit in the pain, lament, repent, and stand in solidarity with people of color. It is easier for me as a black woman to assimilate and ignore the injustices of the systemic problems and and the empire in America, than it is to reflect on the fact that this country wasn't made for me, or others like me who exist in the margins. I live in a world made with systems and structures that weren't designed for me to get a loan when I need it, or to go to the doctor and truly be cared for, or to be protected and kept safe while riding public transportation, or to get a job with equal power and equal pay. Jesus knew that the Roman Empire was also a systemic problem that oppressed those who exist in the margins. The forgotten, the left out, the poor, the lonely, the homeless, the sick. To them, Jesus brings the gospel, good news to the poor, good news that brings great joy to all people. Like I mentioned earlier, our passage this evening is Luke 18, 1 through 8, and in honor of this week being Indigenous Peoples Day, I want to read to you our passage once more from the Indigenous Peoples Version of the Bible, which I picked up at a conference, which was really cool. It says, creator sets free, speaking of Jesus, told them a story to show that they should pray at all times and never lose heart. Listen, he said. There was a village that had a tribal council chief who did not fear the great spirit or respect his fellow human beings. A woman of that village who had lost her husband kept bothering him, and she would say to him, stand up for me against the one who has done me wrong. The tribal council chief ignored her at first, but the woman kept demanding that he help her. The council chief grew weary, changed his thinking, and said, "'This woman really troubles me. If I do not help her and right this wrong, she will never stop bothering me. I will see that she gets justice.'" not because I respect her or even fear the great spirit, but only because she will not give up until I help her. Creator sets free, speaking of Jesus said, can you hear the words of this bad-hearted tribal council chief? If a council chief like that will do what is right, how much more will the great spirit right the wrongs done to the one who cry out to him day and night? Will he ignore their cries? No. I tell you, he will not be slow to bring justice to them but when the true human being comes he will find will he find this kind of faith anywhere in the land So what is Jesus saying What's interesting to me about this passage is that the unjust judge didn't change his mind because he cared for the widow He didn't care about what she was experiencing He didn't care about the hardships that came to her as a result of systemic oppression. He didn't care that she was hurt, abused, or lived a life day to day that was difficult and hard. But the widow saw justice because she wouldn't let up. She was fed up and wouldn't shut up until the justice she was seeking was granted to her. Jesus was making a point that though you live in a world that may not always care for you, Your persistence will help you see justice. Jesus was also making a point that his kingdom doesn't operate like the world's. In his world, there is a God who cares for you and hears you. Then later in the passage, Jesus challenges those who are listening to him. When he returns for a second time, he's basically asking them, will there be anyone still crying out? Will there be anyone still standing up to systemic oppression? Will there be anyone fighting for love and shalom? Will there be anyone still praying, crying out, asking the Father to intervene on behalf of their people? The answer should be yes, because it should be you and I. I'm reminded of the story of Close Campbell Sr., whose picture should be up on the screen. He came to the state of Arizona in 1945 at the age of 14. He eventually became involved in community affairs to improve his South Phoenix neighborhood. Campbell was disappointed for many years that the Arizona news media did not cover the accomplishment and activities of the African American community. So in 1969, he became owner and co-publisher of the Arizona Informant. Using the slogan, we record black history, 98% of our news you won't find in any other news media in Arizona. Let me remind you that this man lived right here in our city, in our state, in our town. It is said that Campbell proudly stated, I was unbought and unbossed. He was proud of his reputation for shaking things up at the capitol. He said as an aggressive and articulate black senator who was outspoken, I did not believe in rocking the boat. I believed in turning the boat over and I wanted to see if the individuals who landed in the water could swim. My God. Cloves Campbell Sr. reminds me of Jesus. When it came to resisting the oppression of the Roman Empire, in our time systemic injustice in the United States of America, Jesus turned the boat over. When it came to befriending tax collectors, in our time corrupt officials, Jesus turned the boat over. When it came to caring for prostitutes, in our time escorts or OnlyFans or those whose lives we think people shouldn't ascribe to, Jesus turned the boat over. When it came to affirming the identity and dignity of Samaritans, in our time, those we would classify as half-breeds who defile the true religion, for some of us, honestly, that might be people who exist in the LGBTQ plus community, Jesus turned the boat over. When it came to tending to the poor and the widow, in our time, those crushed under the feet of the wealthy and the powerful, Jesus turned the boat over. Pastor, author, writer, Kurt Willems states this, Jesus continuously challenged the socio-political norms that were the result of the Roman rule and invites us to rediscover our unique place as people whose authority comes not from power and might but from identifying with the margins of empire. What do we see Jesus constantly doing what Kendall described to us earlier as a radical welcome. Jesus brought the gospel, which was the good news to the poor. And this Jesus invites us to follow in his ways. This Jesus says to us, come, follow me. As the band comes up, I wanna read to you something. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, my, my husband and I attended the CCDA national conference. And while we were there, the very last day, the president and CEO, Reverend Cecilia J. Williams, reminded us of the lyrics to a song by Gregory Porter. The lyrics are this. They build their houses in preparation for a king. And they line the sidewalks with every sort of shiny thing. But they will be surprised when they hear Jesus say, Take me to the alley. Take me to the afflicted ones. Take me to the lonely ones that somehow lost their way. And let them hear me say, I am your friend. Come to my table. Rest here in my garden. You will have pardon. Friends, let me remind you that when systems that are unjust won't hear you, Jesus does. The systems and structures of white supremacy and oppression must come down. And the radical welcome of the love of Jesus must go up. All of that starts with you and I seeing the way of Jesus for what it really is. And walking in that together. We claim to be and are the multi-ethnic, multicultural family of God. In light of Indigenous Peoples' Day, or as some call it as we learn tonight, Truthsgiving, giving happening later this week, I'd like to read to you one final prayer. It's called, This Land Belongs to No One, a prayer written by Hila Ratzabi. The earth is God's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell upon it, Psalm 24. This land belongs to no one but God. The earth was here before us and will endure after we're gone. Let us walk gently upon this precious earth, taking only what we need, leaving little waste, nurturing the soil, revitalizing the land to sustain future generations. This land we dwell on today, Grace Lutheran Church in downtown Phoenix, literally I looked this up is the ancestral land of the Tahano O'odham Nation. And we acknowledge their historical roots in this place. The many generations who were stewards of this land. We hear the echoes of their prayers to the great mother earth and seek to learn from their wisdom. And we acknowledge the history of pain, disease, and bloodshed the native peoples endured when they were colonized. Though we can't reverse the course of history, let us not ignore it. Let us look history in the eye and accept its painful truth. Let us honor the memory of those who died on this land, who lost their sovereignty. Let us honor the native people who to this day keep their sacred traditions and culture alive and seek to reclaim, reassert, and revive their sovereignty. We are also grateful for the bounty that we will enjoy this week, the abundant, abundant variety of foods this earth provides. And we acknowledge those who will cook the meals, the mothers, the daughters, the sons, the fathers, and those who will sit at the table. We acknowledge those who plant and harvest the food we will eat, many of them who are immigrants, and we send them blessings for safety and freedom. We commit to sustaining this earth so it will continue to sustain us, our children and grandchildren. And we commit to give more and take less from this fragile earth. Thank you, God, for the land that sustains us, for our family and friends, and the sacred moment we are privileged to enjoy. Amen. Our friends from Neighborhood Ministries will be with us on Sunday, December 5th, um, registering people to vote if you have not already. Voting is one practical way that you can change systems and structures in your neighborhood and truly love your neighbors well as you learn what they need. And the last announcement is that our next meal together will be next Sunday, the 28th, so come hungry and until we see you again may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all have a good night for more resources or information about kaleo please visit our website at kaleo.phx.com or follow us on social media if this episode has been helpful to you let us know or share it with someone you know